0: Name forever. Now, I wonder if we could turn in our Bibles tonight to the Gospel of John for our scripture reading to the first uh, chapter of uh, John's Gospel. We're going to read from verse 1 of the chapter. The Gospel of John, chapter 1, and beginning our reading at the first verse. John's Gospel, chapter 1 and beginning at verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. know that God will add his blessing to the reading of his precious word afresh. Let's just unite in a word of prayer. Our loving God and our gracious Father in heaven, we approach thee in our Saviour's precious name afresh this evening. We thank thee for our Redeemer. We thank thee for the one who is our Saviour. And we thank thee for the one who uh, came in flesh to dwell among us, and our Father, we thank thee for that message that God Emmanuel is with us. So, Lord, bless as we consider thy word at the end of our meeting tonight and draw us nigh to thee, for it's in Jesus' precious name that we'd ask these things. Amen. Amen. There are a number of approaches that people take to uh, this time of year in the birth of Christ. We think of those uh, we acknowledge that there are many who do not have a Christian background ag- at all and for whom the birth of Christ m- means very little. But I'm thinking about normally Christian people or those that come from Western lands where uh, this time of year Christmas is a big thing. And the first approach is the secular approach and those that focus upon the more pagan, non-religious symbols such as snowmen and robins and uh, snow and mistletoe and holly and ivy. And then, on the other hand, there are those that would recognize the significance of what we are celebrating, and maybe the focus is more upon uh, the shepherds and the one that was born, of course. We think about the uh, angels, the uh, stable, the manger, and all of these things. And we focus on that. And there's nothing wrong with focusing on those things. Those are part of the historical details that are given to us in the Word of God. But I want you to see that John here takes a very different approach to the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's not giving a historical narrative, but he wants to get to the heart of the importance of the incarnation. And instead of giving the historical details about the birth. He gets to the heart of the matter and he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Matthew, Mark, and Luke It has been said, see the birth of Christ through the eyes of man. But John looked at all of these events through the eyes of God. And one line in the portion of Scripture stands out for us. It's in verse 14 there. We have four words, four words anyway in the English. The Word became flesh. Uh, And that's the most profound truth of all. John is an absolute master at the economy of words here. He's saying things of vast, incomprehensible truth, but he speaks in very simple terms. The word became flesh. That's what we celebrate at this time of the year, not just the physical features of the stable and the star and the young couple and the shepherds and the wise men, but it is the very birth of the Son of God. Who is the Word? Uh, Verse 1 says the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Well, if you look at verse 14, it really gives you the answer. It says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So the Word that the portion of Scripture is speaking about here is the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what we celebrate as we come to this time of the year. We're thinking about our Savior and what he came to do there on the center cross of Calvary. And in just 65 words here in the portion that we have read, we have truths that would fill 65 volumes. A child once wrote a letter to an aunt who had given her a present, a Christmas present, And she said, Dear Aunt Sarah, thank you for the Christmas present you sent me. Uh, The present you sent was almost as good as the one I really wanted. And uh, we can think like that at times. But this present here is more than anything that we probably ever have wanted, or certainly have ever wanted. And I want us to think about the gift of the Word, our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, as it is spoken of in this portion of Scripture. And first of all, as we look at our Savior here, I want you to see his dignity as sovereign. Look at the first four verses here. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of man. Amen. And you see John piling term upon term here in the description. And really what he wants to do is to strike us with awe. He wants really uh, to make us gasp as he describes what really has taken place in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we see that our Savior is the Word here. You notice that he is eternally existent. Now, what does it mean when it says that he's the Word? Well, bear with me a little because this is a little bit philosophical, but I'll try and make it as simple as possible. When the term the Word was used in those days, it meant different things to different people, to the Greeks. The word was the force behind the universe. It it was uh, the rational principle behind the universe. And it was impersonal. It was the, the principle that had made everything. That was what it meant to the Greeks. To the Jews, it meant something completely different. It meant the revelation of God. It meant what the prophets had said the word, the message that had come through the prophets. And as such, then it was personal because the message comes to you and me. It's a message from God to us. And what John has done here is that he's brought both of the things together. And he's saying that in the Lord Jesus Christ, the person, we have the one who has made the universe. But it's not just a principle, it's a person that has made the universe. And he is God's Revelation to us. He has come as God come down. So you can see that both of those things are brought together. But that tells us something at the start. Because you can see a hint here, even in what is said, that this message is not just for Jews. This is a message for Jews and for Gentiles, for Jews and Greeks. And you can see that this is a message not only for a certain group of people, but that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Thank God it doesn't matter who you are or where you come from. God has sent his son to speak to you to be a savior, to die on the cross that you might be redeemed. So we think about the word and then the other thing that we need to understand just before we go on is the phrase, in the beginning. And that reminds us, of course, of the account of creation in Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And he, he said simply that uh, before the creation then, he, the Lord Jesus Christ was in the beginning. Before the creation, he's the eternal being. He just didn't come into existence when he was born in Bethlehem. He existed when nothing else existed. And men, women, we have no idea who this Savior is if it hadn't been for the revelation of God. And we see something of the awe and the wonder here of the one who came. And we sometimes lose that in the midst of all that takes place at this time of the year. So we can see here that our Savior is eternally existent. But then you also see that he's not only eternally existent as God, but he is exactly equal with God. Think again of what we're told explicitly there in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And where it says there, that he was with God. It literally means he's face to face with God. So, and then it says that he's, he is God. So he's face to face with God, and he is God. And there you have the mystery of the Trinity. Uh, he is able to be face to face with God, but to be God at the same time. And there you can see here that we have the three persons of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and you look at, look at verse 3. It says all things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made. Now in Genesis 1 verse 1 it says that God created the heavens and the earth. Now we're told that it is the Lord Jesus who is the creator. And we're getting again some idea of the power and the majesty and the glory and the splendor of the one that we're dealing with, the one who came I'm trying to uh, get over the foolish idea that some people have when they say, well, I accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't believe in him as God. You see, the Bible and he claims to be God. Now, either he is a liar or, uh, or else he's evil or else what he's saying is true. He cannot be a good moral teacher and uh, say all of these things at the same time unless they are true. Unless they are true. And we can see the truth of the claims even by what he did, by the moral teaching that he brought, by the way that he conducted himself and there was no guile in his mouth and he did no evil And we think of him walking the scene of time as the perfect son of God. He is exactly equal with God, God the Father. He is God. But not only is he eternally existent as God and exactly equal with God, but he is ever effulgent as God because we're told here that he's uh, light in the midst of darkness. Look at verses 4 and 5. It says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. In John 8 and verse 12, the Lord Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. I want to tell you, we live in a midst of a very dark world and it seems to be getting darker all the time. Satan has blighted, war has come in, disease, pestilence, tragedy, sorrow, death, all because of what took place in the Garden of Eden, and what took place there plunged the world into darkness, into grief, into sadness. But here's one who comes in the midst of that to bring light. You think of the... Uh, trees and the decorations at this time of the year and people up put up the lights and it brings a little bit of cheer in the midst of the gloom and in the long evenings of the year when there's darkness it brings that little bit of cheer my what cheer it is that the greatest light of all brings to the hearts of those who are his he's eternally existent as god exactly equal to god He's ever effulgent as God. But also, he is the explicit expression of God. Because this is one of the meanings of the term, the word. What are our words? They're the expression of our minds. We have things in our minds. And if we want to uh, communicate what's in our mind, we use words. And that's what the Lord Jesus is. God is a spirit. No man has seen God at any time. But the Lord Jesus Christ comes as the expression of God, as it were. He comes as the revelation of God. Our words reveal what we think. And he comes to reveal God to us. He comes down. He come to save his people from their sin. He came to bear bear our sins in his own body on the tree. Thank God for that phrase that he uttered on Calvary. It is finished. And that's the message that we have at this time of the year. The wonderful message, the message that he brings, he is the word of God. And the word that he brings is a message of mercy and of peace. And it is a message of salvation He says, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And we need to heed the word of God, the blessed Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we see something of the Lord's dignity as sovereign. And then I want you to see we notice something of his dedication as Savior, Look again there at verse 14. And these wonderful words again. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And there is the wonderful truth that the mighty creator, this one that we've been speaking about, his dignity, his sovereignty in all things, this uh, son of God, the uh, second person of the Trinity, he has come uh, to be with us. And he comes to dwell in human flesh. My, what a wonderful thing. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God, but he came and uh, to dwell in flesh. And there you have the humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here is the supernatural reality that John begins to explain here. That the eternal transcendent God, the all-knowing, all-powerful all-present God, the unchanging God, comes down to dwell with us. He's Emmanuel. He's God with us. And again, that's the essential truth of Christianity. And we think of Matthew and Mark and Luke, they think about the earthly elements, but here is the supernatural, heavenly elements. And of course, throughout the, uh, John's Gospel, these things are highlighted, that the one who has come in flesh is indeed God. One time he said, I and the Father are one. We think of Thomas in the end of the Gospel of John, bows down before the Savior and he says, my Lord and my God. And that's a wonderful thing because in the Lord Jesus Christ, the God-man, we have a mediator. The Bible says there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And that's why the Lord Jesus is the only saviour, is the only one who could save, because the saviour had to be God and man at the same time. And there's only one who could ever be that, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given amongst men whereby we must be saved. We see his humanity. But also we see something of his humiliation. It says in Philippians 2 and 8, And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And you can see how he humbled himself by coming to dwell with us. He put aside the royal robes of splendor and he inhabits the full experience of human life. He was born... The way that we were born. He was born in humbler circumstances than many uh, of us were born. But we think of behind the Christmas card coziness and the major scene, there is the brutal reality of poverty, squalid poverty, and the terrifying levels of infant mortality that there was in those days. A life cut short violently when it was just beginning to flower. And God. Deliber- deliberately brings his son or sends his son at a time of trouble and a time of darkness, like or, or, or no other, because he came to identify with us. We read in Hebrews 4 and verse 15 For we have not an high priest, which is not able to be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted, like as we are, yet without sin. He experienced the sorrows. He experienced the weariness. He experienced the pain. He experienced all of those things as men put him to shame and tore his back and put the spear in his side and the nails in his hands and in his feet. And my, he went down into the lowest to lift us to the highest. My, we think of his humiliation. He came to dwell amongst us. And that word dwelt there, that where it says that he dwelt amongst us in verse 14, means just to tabernacle. And uh, maybe uh, at a time I would have thought, well, to tabernacle just means to dwell for a short time. And what's been referred to there is that the Lord Jesus came for a short time to dwell on earth. But you look at other instances Of the same word. In Revelation chapter 21. and verse 3. It says. Behold the dwelling or the tent of God is with men. He will dwell with them. And they shall be his people. And you see that that's something permanent. And I think that what we are seeing here. Is that the Lord here. Where he speaks about dwelling amongst men. Comes down. To be amongst us. To to be nigh us. To have fellowship with us through the shedding of his blood, through his death on the cross. And that's the only way that we can have fellowship with him. But he comes to dwell with us. He says to his people, lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. We see the humility of Christ or we see the human humanity of Christ and the humility of Christ But also look at the handiwork of Christ. The Word of God speaks there of one who will give life. Look at verse 4. It says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And that's the most wonderful thing. He came to give life. Now, some people have questioned what kind of life? Is it physical life? Is it life to the fullest? Living a life down here? Or is it eternal life? When it says that he's the life of men, what does it mean? I think it means all three of those things. He's the creator. He gives life. And he is able to take life away. Then he gives life to the fullest. Those that trust in him have joy and peace beyond believing. And we think of how he gives eternal life. He says to his people, I give unto them eternal life. They shall never perish; neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. And you know, when we think of that life that our Saviour gives, so life will never be taken from us. And we think of what the angels said: "Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill towards men." My, this is the greatest gift that you could ever have. But one more thing that I want you to see here. And that is his dismissal by uh, sinners. Look at verse 11 there. He says, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. Now, there's something that you don't see in the English that will be very evident, or at least it will be somewhat evident in the Greek. And that is in that verse there. It says he came unto his own, and his own Received him not. The word his own is used twice, but it is in a different uh, gender, to speak like a Greek lector. It is in the first instance in the neuter, and that means he came unto his own things, his own possessions. But the other one is in the masculine, and that means that he came to his own people, or his own people. They rejected him. So he came to his own possessions, or came to his own, what was his, his family, his nation. He came to them, and his own people received him not. Who didn't receive him? Well, his family didn't receive him. You think of how it says in the Gospel, Mark 6 and verse 4, a prophet is not without honor, but in his own country and among his own kin and his own house. And then in Luke chapter four it says, "And all they in the synagogue, when they heard these things were filled with wrath, and rose up and thrust him out of the city, and led him into the brow of a hill whereon their city was built, and they, that they might cast him down headlong. And then it says, and he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. And there was the Lord Jesus. He came to his own family. they wouldn't listen to him. Came to his own city, came to Nazareth, and they were going to stone him. Came to his own people, came to this world, and yet many still reject him. We think of what it it was that God sent His Son, the mighty Creator of all, the One who came to love and to give peace and life and light. And yet men and women still reject the Lord Jesus Christ. What did the prophets say? He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and equated with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. And I wonder tonight, in the face of all of the message of the incarnation of the Son of God, the mighty God who came down, are you going to reject him? Are you going to say, no, I will not have this one to reign over me? Are you going to uh, say no to the gift of God, which is eternal life? Dear friend, you need to face his claims tonight. You need to see the mighty one that you reject. What a fool you would be to fight against the mighty God of heaven. But look at the alternative in verse 12. It says, But as many as received him, to them give he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believed on his name. And all you need to do is receive him. It's not hard. He will receive you. If you receive him, he will give you the adoption of sons. He'll bring you into his family. He will make you an heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus Christ. You can have all the blessings that he came to bestow. But all you have to do is receive him. Will you receive him tonight? Or will you reject him? The uh, uh, alternative is clear. And it is one that must be made now. Wait, what way are you going with the message of Of the incarnation, the birth of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. May you trust Him. May you close in with His offer of mercy. And may you come to know the mighty Savior tonight for His name's sake. Let's just bow, please, in a word of prayer. Our loving God and our gracious Father in heaven, we do thank Thee for the precious word of God to our hearts afresh tonight. We thank thee for the one who is the word. The word was with God and the word was God. And we thank thee that he came to dwell amongst us. We thank thee that he came to dwell in, in flesh and went to the cross of Calvary that we might be redeemed. And our God we'd ask thee that men and women might not reject thee, but receive thee, whom to know is life eternal. Bless us now, we pray of thee, and write thy word upon our hearts. For Jesus' sake, amen, amen. The hidden number 81, in closing, please. See in yonder manger low, Born for us on earth below, see the Lamb of God appears, promised from eternal years. Hail thou ever-blessed morn, hail redemptions, happy dawn, sing through all Jerusalem, Christ is born in Bethlehem. We'll stand to sing this hymn. loving God and our gracious Father, we pray that thou wouldst part us now in thy fear and with thy blessing. Take us to and safety, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship and communion of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with thy people both now and in the incoming days, for Jesus' sake. Amen.